Luke gives us at the end of this passion scene the three sayings of Jesus from the cross, these three. The first, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second saying, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the third, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. There are actually seven sayings from the cross if you go through all of the Gospels. Each of the Gospel writers chooses particular sayings that reinforce their perspective on the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And Luke's three, like the others, provide this beautiful kind of short um, synopsis of the Gospel. Think of these three. Um, Father, forgive them. Here Jesus acknowledges the guilt of the human race, that those creatures of God have thumbed their noses at God, they've squandered the gift of creation. So we say every week in our Eucharistic prayer, although they knew God, they neither honored him as God or gave thanks, but turned away. Humanity has looked upon the God who gave it life and rebelled and said, we will be gods. We will do what we want with the world. The second saying from a thief, guilty of the sin of human race, represents us. And he says, today, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. There's an opportunity for those who are guilty before God and men to enter into eternal life. And the third saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The access to eternal life is through the death of the innocent one. And when a thief, a criminal like us, looks at Jesus and commends him righteous, he will remember us before the Father. Three short sayings, Luke captures for us what it means to be a Christian, to believe in the truth. And throughout the season of Lent, I've picked up on these earlier two sayings. And today on Palm Sunday, as we look into Holy Week, I want us to reflect on this final saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's certainly a statement of Jesus um, giving in and dying, of his willingness um, to forego this death. But at a much more important level, it's a statement of surrender, of Jesus surrendering to the Father. If you think back just to the night before, just a chapter back, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his Father and with his disciples, and he says to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. The two prayers hang together. Jesus is saying, I don't understand this moment. I don't understand what it means to be accused and to be tormented and to be beaten and to be abandoned by the people I have loved, but your will, not mine. It's a remarkable kind of surrender for Jesus to do that, as powerful and as wise as he was, that he had the humility to submit to a plan he did not see through on his human side. He was not all-seeing. There's emphasis for Luke in the saying before Jesus' final saying when he says, and it was dark and the sun's light failed to shine. Luke kind of casting that moment as symbolic, one of confusion, one of darkness, one of uncertainty. And there Jesus expresses his faith on behalf of the criminals. That surrender that Jesus gives is, of course, not only the sign of our gospel good news, but it's also for us to imitate. We're to be people who say, Father, into 
your hand I commend my spirit. And we know this because of the relationship between Luke and Paul. I try to say this almost every month or so in a sermon or a study, but the relationship between Luke and Paul is so significant to understanding their books. Neither one of them were disciples. Neither one of them walked with Jesus. Paul becomes an apostle on the road to Damascus. Then he goes and he studies and he spends time with the apostles and disciples, and he begins to go out and speak to the Gentiles. And somewhere along the way, Luke begins to follow him. And it seems as if Luke stays with Paul for the rest of Paul's life. Those um, words that we skim by in the New Testament, you know, the end of the book when Paul's saying grace and peace and Demas is with me and Silas and send love to the brotherhood, we skim past that, but they're so significant because in Paul's letters we find that Luke again is with me. The physician is with me. Luke and Demas are with me. Luke alone is with me. There he is. We wouldn't have looked for him. There's Luke traveling with Paul, there with Paul, in the prisons in Philosophy and Colossians when he writes those letters that we read today. Luke's there. Why is that significant? Because Luke sets up this scene of Jesus on the cross, most likely from what he heard from Paul. And then Luke writes book two, which should only be read after you read Luke one, the first book, And he begins the book of Acts, Luke 2, and he begins to tell this story. And there's echoes of Luke's gospel everywhere. And the first convert to enter into the kingdom of God is a thief. And Luke comes to chapter 7 in Acts, and he gives us the first martyr to enter the kingdom of God, Stephen. And Stephen is this bold, courageous fellow. The Hebrews have persecuted him, have found out that he's a believer. And Stephen is going about telling these stories, and they arrest him, and they prosecute him, and they pick up stones to stone him. And Stephen tells this story of 50-something verses, starting with Abraham and the promise to Moses and the wandering in the, in the wilderness. And as he comes to the end of this story that's familiar to the Israelites, he said, but you were stiff-necked, and he sent to you the righteous one, and you crucified him. And they're enraged at Stephen, and they pick up their stones. And then Stephen says two things. Remember, this is Luke, writing from Luke 23, now and writing in Acts 7. Father, into your hands, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Father, do not hold this sin against them. Luke craftily putting together these two scenes. Stephen, now in his death, sees himself in Christ's role. He's taken up his cross, and he will live through that literally. He'll have to die. And he takes on his lips the words he knows that Jesus spoke. Forgive those for they don't know, and receive my spirit. With Jesus, he knows that the path of the Christian disciple is to die. We know Paul's handed it almost assuredly because the very next verse is this. And that Saul who was breathing threats approved of his execution. There's Saul. How did Saul know Stephen spoke the words? Because he was there watching that first martyr be killed. Saul who in the next chapter will journey to Damascus and see the Lord. And he'll learn what it means to say, Lord, unto your Unto you I commend my spirit. And he'll die and become Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. 
You know, go to prison in Philippi and write these words to us. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but became obedient to the point of death on a cross. There is Paul. Imitate Stephen. Imitate Jesus. Pray that prayer. Into your hands I commend my spirit. But what does that mean practically for us? Two things, I think, that we can take away to think what it means to commend our spirit to the Lord, to give our lives in trust to the Father. The first is to die well. Stephen, in that moment, sees his death coming, knows that he is mortal and he has been made for this. We've been made to die. Moses says it in Psalm 90, 70 or 80 years, but the length of our years is toil and trouble. We have been made not for this life, for another one. So Christians ought to die well. Ash Wednesday, we begin our Lenten season every year, and I say that old Lenten saying that, um, from Latin, a memento mori, remember that you will die. And then I mark our heads with ashes. From dust to dust, you shall return. You were made to die. We were not made to live out this life into all those dreams of American liberty and happiness. There are good things in this life, but we were not made for them. And the pleasures that await us, await us in eternity after we have surrendered these flesh and this body to the Father. We must be people who know to die well, to know we were marked for this. America, we've kind of um, drunk in that spirit of nest eggs and early retirements and retirement homes, um, things that are novelties in the last decades. They're not very old. And we live our lives thinking of that retirement phase as being our purpose and our happiness. We work long hours and weekends. We have savings plans. We neglect church and activities because we need to save up money to make the most of the end of life. And that is not dying well. Many of you have recommended to me and I've recommended to you this book by Atul Gawande, a surgeon at um, Harvard and at Brigham and Women's in Boston. And he wrote this book called Being Mortal, which is a story of his own coming to terms with what it means to be a human, to be made to die. Gawande is not a Christian. He's not writing for Christians. He's writing for humans who are pouring money into the final years of their lives and don't know how to die well. We don't know how to talk about death. We don't know how to speak with one another about giving our lives away. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he has to take his own journey to be honest with patients about how much money they're going to spend. And the likelihood that we now know through research that if you pour more money into nursing homes and intensive care and tracheotomies and all of the kind of any, um, bacterial agents in intensive care, most often you will die younger and you will suffer more. It's remarkable research. We're pouring all this in for happiness. But the opposite often results. And the irony strikes me here is a non-Christian telling Christians how to die well. Ars moriendi was the other Latin phrase, die well. Christians ought to be all people to say, you're not made for this life, for another. And so to die well means, of course, the opposite, to live well. 
to live as if you're dying. That's the second side of what it means for us to be people who say to the Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Luke, just ten chapters before this, nine chapters back, says to the disciples in a moment when he's forecasting his own death, you too must take up your own cross and die daily. It's interesting, Luke adds that word, die daily. To be a Christian must be somebody who every day wakes up and says, Lord, this is your life. That ancient prayer that we have that have been given to children now, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It was a saint's prayer. It was a, a prayer of the adults, not just of children, to say, my life belongs to you and I surrender it in this day when I go to sleep because it's yours. And if you take it, I offer it to you. To die daily means to remember that we're not made for this place. At the um, end of the book of Proverbs, there's a chapter 30 by this guy named Augur. We don't have any idea who he is. The beautiful poetry and of this, poem, this psalm. But it's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. And it's just two words. He says this, two things I ask of you before I die. Remarkable statement. He's reflecting on his mortality. I Just two things I ask you before my death. Give me neither poverty nor riches, wealth nor hunger, lest I deny you and steal or profane you, but give me my daily bread. This fascinating kind of prayer. Give me daily bread that I don't profane your name. Almost all certainty that Jesus is reflecting on this as he crafts for us the Lord's Prayer. What does it mean to be a Christian? To die daily for daily bread, not too much, not too little, content for the day. Like Moses, teach us to number the days to give you a heart of wisdom. For Christians, as we enter into this last week of Holy Week, test yourselves as how well you're dying to yourself. One writer reflects on this passage in Philippians where Paul says, in humility considers other better than yourselves. And he says, how well are you exercising dying to self? You may answer it with this. At any moment in the day, how much are my thoughts going inward? To my needs, my happiness, my security, my friends, my reputation, my wealth, my success in life. And how many of your thoughts go outward to God and the world and the needs of those surround us? For that will be the happy person and the loving person who dies to self. This is what it means for Paul to say, take up your cross daily and follow him. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. In a moment, we'll come before the table and we'll remember that death of Jesus. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And when we do that, this remarkable moment happens that you may miss or not think of. But we proclaim him the innocent one who died for us. And we say to him as the thief does, as we remember you, remember me when you come into your father's kingdom. And he offers that promise that that last day when we die, today you shall be with me in paradise. It is the offer that criminals have before the Lord today. Offer him to yourselves this week in Holy Week. I'm a criminal. May I die to myself and live in this world day by day, hoping in the life to come. Amen.